It's Home Court Press, Utah Jazz Talk with Brian Priest and McCade Pearson. In our triumphant return from the end of semester burnout, McCade and I have a great show planned for you today. We're going to take one last peek at the standings and discuss how we expect it to shake out before the regular season wraps up on Sunday. We also look around the league at contender injuries with our league-wide temperature check. And we'll be talking plenty of Utah Jazz basketball, including Borg's Player of the Week outburst and a look at the coming week's schedule. But first, we recap the Jazz 3-1 performance last week that has essentially locked up the number one overall seed heading into the playoffs. Stay tuned as all that and more is coming up next on Home Court Press, Utah Jazz Talk. Welcome back to Home Court Press, Utah Jazz Talk. This is your host, Brian Priest, joined, as always, by McCade Pearson. We've been on a little bit of a sabbatical, McCade. It's been, what was it, April 16th? I think the Donovan injury ripped our hearts out. Yeah. The Donovan injury ripped our hearts out. Now, uh, we had a lot of college stuff. I graduated. You wrapped up a hard semester and, you know, life's life and had to take a couple-week break there. Um, but we watched a lot of jazz moves while we were gone, and that's fun, and that's important, and we're excited to be back. McCade, we gotta we gotta start. We can't sell you short. Congratulations on the graduation, finally getting a degree Woo-hoo. from the U, and moving on to I don't I mean I don't want to try and sound condescending here, but moving on to big boy jobs. That's the goal, anyway. If anyone out there wants to hire me, <laughs> you have my Twitter. Um, no, but yep, we're graduated college and finishing up this high school sports season. I probably won't be back in the fall, obviously. So, gonna go hit up some two A baseball tournaments this weekend Ooh, nice. and write some articles there, and then probably some like. 4A baseball tournaments or something fun next week, and we'll figure it all out, but I'll enjoy the high school playoff scene for a few more weeks and then move on to doing big boy math, I guess. <laughs> Did you do anything fun to celebrate your graduation, or was it just another day? No. Um, my mom tried to convince me to do something fun, and I didn't. Then my wife tried to convince me to do something fun, and I didn't. I, I loved a pretty boring life. Dude, if somebody else is paying for it, you mm-hmm. got to take advantage of that. I know. There's a decent chance I end up in Vegas for a few days. So Okay, I like to hear that. And I'm always down to go to Vegas. I learned how to gamble in college, so we're good. That's all you need. Kevin Spacey in 21 taught us that, right? Yes, sir. (laughs) All right, man. Well, let's jump into this one. Let's talk about what we're going to go over today. And we've got a lot planned, and we've been out for a month. So today on the weekly show, we'll do some of our standard shtick. We're going to go over the standings, watch who's rising, who's falling, as the regular season is set to end on Sunday. We're going to talk about who's healthy and who's not, and who might return for the playoffs, focusing specifically on teams that are in the playoff hunt. And we're going to spend an awful lot of time talking about the Jazz. Now, some of the the highlights with this Jazz team, they finally got themselves a player of the week, and it was not Donovan Mitchell. We've got highlights on guys like Trent Forrest, George Niang, uh, Rudy Gobert, I'm sure we'll get a mention here and there. And we're going to talk about Mr. Borg Bogdanovich. We're going to look ahead at the Jazz schedule over the next three games before the end of the regular season, and I'm sure we'll spend some time talking about who they might face in as the uh, eight seed. And then we wanted to start today just by looking at the week in review. Since we haven't been doing our Jazz Bites episode, we'll quickly go over the last four games for the Jazz. I think we're going to have a lot of fun on this show today, McKay. Do you ready to get rolling? I'm ready. Let's do it. So I already mentioned the regular season ends on Sunday. All 30 teams are scheduled to play, and there's no times announced yet for those games, right? Because they're trying to figure out the TV schedule and which games are going to matter the most? Yeah. So they originally came out like, yo, we're doing these on Saturday afternoon and Sunday afternoon. And the Spurs, who 
have a four and five to finish the season. As we're recording this on Wednesday morning, the Spurs have only played 70, 68 games. So they're supposed to play tonight, Thursday night, Saturday night, and Sunday night. They're like, dude, a four and five sucks. We're not doing a four and four and a half. That's just not friendly. Um, so I still expect most games to be in the afternoon, but that Sun Spurs game should both be at night and they'll figure it all out. And Grizzlies Warriors is going to determine the eight seed. So that's going to probably be ABC right there in the afternoon. And they'll figure it all out. I'm expecting to hear back from that. Probably Thursday, Friday morning would be my guess, but we'll see. So you have no game times for this weekend yet, but they will probably do some sort of soccer style. Hey, if you and this team have games that both matter, you're playing at the exact same time for competitive reasons. And I think that makes a lot of sense. It's probably something they should do. But just like every season, you get to the last two, three weeks, and you really get firmly entrenched. At least I have, and I know based on your Twitter, you have been. <laughs> you're you're doing the standings watch from the moment oh. you wake up in the morning to after the last game ends in the evening. And basically everything yesterday went the Jazz way. The Suns lost. The Lakers picked up a big win against the Knicks in overtime. The Pacers knock off the Sixers, and that's kind of an underrated one because the Sixers have the tiebreaker over the Jazz. So the, if the Jazz want to yeah, can have... Yeah, I rant there for a second? Oh, Why yeah. the NBA uses conference record to determine a tiebreaker for two teams in different conferences? I get it's very, very rarely used. The only time it's used is if two teams with the same record meet in the finals and split the season series 1-1. So I get it's only used like once every 20 years, but still, conference record to determine the tiebreaker between the 76ers in the East and the Jazz in the West, awful. <laughs> the the Eastern rad. Conference is a great conference. Come on now. Sure, it's a great conference filled with great players, but the West is like perfect level conference. Like, it's, anyway, yeah, <laughs> I'm frustrated about it. Regardless, the Jazz Magic number to finish up by Philly is one, so we're good there. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. The way that they decide that is kind of wonky, but it comes into play so rarely that does it really matter? At least it's not baseball where the All-Star Game winner gets to have home field advantage. What a joke. I think they changed that, but that was a joke, even though it did end up winning the Cubs World Series because they would have been home for Game 7, and the Wrigley faithful would have fallen apart in that game. That, I digress. <laughs> we'll get back to talking about basketball. So the Jazz magic number right now to clinch the number one seed in the West is two. And like you said, they need one win to have home court advantage in the finals, even if they fall to second in the West. So over the last week, the Jazz, obviously without Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell, have had a tough road, but they went 3-1. and one. They beat the Spurs, they beat the Nuggets, and they beat the Rockets. Two of those wins you probably expect beating the Nuggets at home was a really nice win to pick up and, and unexpected, at least in my eyes. And then they lost to the Warriors on Monday night. And I just, having that three in one week, I would have been happy with two and two. Where were you sitting as we went into it? Oh, during the week, I was thinking the Jazz have just got to get three wins. Um, and of course, when you get to this point in the season, everybody always looks at schedules. And they look at the number one seeds and the number two seeds, like the Jazz and Suns, and they go, they're going to win all these games. They're better than all these teams. And it's like, well, yeah, they're the best team in the league. They're better than every team. Um, but with compounding probabilities and stuff, yeah, you're going to be favored in every game, but it's so hard to win every game. You know, just because you have a 75-25 weighted coin doesn't mean you're going to get ahead 100% of the time. And so we saw that play out this past week, is you're more just waiting for the losses to, for lack of a better term, randomly appear. And we saw that with the Suns twice, and we saw that with the Jazz once. So you knew they were coming, but you didn't know when they were coming, and there was no 100% guarantee that they would come, and so that just makes it fun and stressful. So you figure the Jazz just have to take care of misses at home. You really had to go 5-0 and at that home stand, and you did. Uh, the Nuggets game was obviously the big question mark there, and unlike a lot of people, a lot of people thought the Jazz would lose that game, and the Jazz were 
lightly favored. They probably should have won that game 55-60% of the time, and that's what they did. It was a great game. Both teams played really, really well. I don't think the Nuggets, you know, I don't think the Jazz did anything that the Nuggets couldn't do or vice versa. They just both played really well in a great NBA game, and the NBA's entertaining, and the Jazz came out on top in a fantastic game. And so the 3-1 was what I expected. I just didn't know where the one loss was going to occur, and I didn't know how many times the Suns would lose on the other side. Yeah, the end of the NBA regular season is always so wonky. You you almost have to throw out schedules. The favorite teams win a much higher percentage of the time, but there's always those weird losses that come into play. And especially this year with the 72-game schedule, everything being so compacted, it was hard to predict how the final two to three weeks of the regular season would play out. And it's it's kind of happening the way I almost expected it to when we were looking at things about a month ago. And the Suns have been going so hard, balls to the wall, trying to get that number one seed. And they finally dropped a couple games because I just feel like the Suns are an exhausted bunch. The Jazz are a tired team. I mean, I, I, obviously nobody's at full strength right now, but I think it it's even further diminished this season because of the compacted schedule. Yeah, Philly's yeah, Philly's twelve out of sixteen on the road to finish the season has just kinda of killed them. Um the Jake Crowder injury obviously didn't help, although he's back and playing really well right now. So, you know I keep saying Philly, that's Phoenix by the way. Philly has Joel Embiid, so they'll never be healthy in the next decade. Fact. Um <laughs> so yeah, you know, as I said, you just kinda of wait around and see where the losses fall. Like you know they're coming, but you just don't know where because the team is gonna be favored in every game at least by a few points. And that's the same way heading into this last weekend, you know, the Jazz are favored against Portland. And, you know, the Spurs, I mean, the Suns are favored against the Spurs and the Blazers as well, but there's probably going to be a loss in there somewhere. And so you just don't know where. And that's why I watch the games. That's why I love basketball. That's why I love sports is you can look at a spreadsheet all day and say, yeah, they're going to win this game 70% of the time. But that 30% hits 30% of the time, it changes everything in a moment's notice. So last thing I wanted to talk about in this segment before we move on to our news and notes looking around the league, let's talk about Jordan Clarkson in that Warriors game. So 41 points, he scored 24 in the fourth quarter, just absolutely went molten, white hot. It was 8 of 13 from the field, 4 of 7 from the three-point line in the fourth quarter. Prior to that, he was 8 of 20 from the field and 1 of 9 from the three-point line, including missing his first eight three-point attempts. It was a tough night in some ways for Jordan Clarkson. It was an amazing night in some ways for Jordan Clarkson. Is this the Jordan Clarkson experience, and are you, are we okay with it? Um, it is the Jordan Clarkson experience. You're okay with it some nights, and you're not okay with it other nights. So, you know, it's easy to look at this game and say, well, he was awful, and he shot us out of the game. That's 100% true. He shot us out of the game, and then he, 100%, you can 100% say he was great, and he's the reason it was a close game, and that's 100% true. He shot us back into the game. And so, you know, you look at it at the end of the night, and you're like, yeah, that's that's fine. 41 points on 33 shots is okay. That's about league average efficiency. Um, the defense wasn't great. Zero assists isn't fun. And so I don't believe in getting the hype and comebacks either way. I don't care if you're up 20 and then go to overtime or down 20 and go to overtime. Either way, that means you were good for one half and bad for the other half. I think Clarkson still has a big chunk of the blame of why we lost that game, but Clarkson's also a big chunk of the reason why we were in that game. And you just have to evaluate both sides. And a lot of times people like to only look at their favorite side. And so, you know, without Clarkson, we probably win that game by 20. And without Clarkson, we probably lose that game by 20. So it's all just a weird paradox. And I don't even know what the word is. It's just out there. And Clarkson's a very unique player. I'll leave it at that. (laughs) 
I just think we have to take some extra consideration in mind when we look at the stats from Jordan Clarkson game to game, especially over the last 13 without Donovan Mitchell, and I think it's been eight games that Mike Conley has missed recently. And you just you have to have somebody that's going to be able to create offense on their own, and Jordan Clarkson's the only person on this team that can do that without Donovan and Mike on the floor. So, yeah, sometimes it's going to get a little bit rough, and I think we understand that as Jazz fans. But even if he's not playing well, I was watching Twitter during that game, and so many people complaining about Jordan Clarkson and why doesn't Quinn pull him and uh, just just a bunch of And to me, I'm thinking, well, if Jordan's not on the floor, who else is going to score for this team and even give them an opportunity to stay in the ballgame? So I I think there has to be that extra level of consideration right now. Now, if he played as poorly as he did through the first three quarters when Donovan and Mike are both on the floor, then yeah, I think you have the luxury of being able to limit Clarkson's minutes in a game like that. But right now, There's just nobody to create, and you have to be able to create some one-on-one offense in an NBA game. Yeah, and, you know, so 33 shot attempts is rough. You saw the whole Don Mitchell, Andy Larson beef about that. My big concern from that game is the Jets had zero players finish with between 10 and 20 field goal attempts, and it's really hard to win that way. You know, Boyan was great with his 21 shot attempts. Side note, Boyan's been fantastic the last month. Oh, we're going to talk about him a lot. Yes, we got to talk about Boyan, but... Yeah, the 33 field goal attempts is a ton, specifically the 6 for 17 in the first half, which is brutal. Um, you know, the 17 shots in a half, especially first half, just isn't a very good recipe for success, let alone only making six of them. So there's ups and downs. And, you know, honestly, theoretically, knock on wood, this doesn't matter in the playoffs because you have Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell, and this is all a moot conversation to begin with. Hopefully we have Mike Connolly, Donovan Mitchell in the playoffs, but I'm sure we'll talk about that a little later in the show as well. Well, let's, uh, if we're done talking about Clarkson, should we move on to the news and notes? Yeah, let's do it. Let's look on the league real quick. All right. I, I got to start with the Jazz finally getting that much-anticipated hang-the-damn-banner-already player of the week, Bojan Bogdanovic. You will be assimilated. Resistance is futile. 29.3 points per game, shooting over 62% from the field, including a career-high 48 against the Nuggets, the highest single-game regular season Jazz total since Carl Malone way back in 1998. Bojan's been awesome right now. I love watching what Bojan is doing, and I don't care that I wanted to trade him two months ago. <laughs> I mean, people, I've gotten so many tweets this last few days, like, so, oh, you still want to trade Bojan? And it's like, well, yeah, like, we're not, you know, our dynamics are different without Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell. I never thought Boyan couldn't do this. We always knew Boyan was a good secondary scorer and could help fill possessions. Um, my worry about Boyan is if we're in the NBA Finals or the Conference Finals in a Game Six, and he's the fourth or fifth best player on the court. Do I trust him defensively? Do I trust him to do it enough? Like my opinions don't. People think, oh, I have these crazy opinions. But my opinions very rarely swing from game to game. But he has been <laughs> lights out the last month. As you mentioned, Player of the Week was fantastic this week. But even the three weeks before that. He's averaging, you know, 25 points a game on lights out shooting. He has shown that he can for sure still be a secondary scorer, even a primary scorer on a mediocre team off the chest won a ton the last month. That his shooting ability is just such world class level that he will always have a role in the NBA for the next 10 years. Um, if he's playing like this, and knock on wood, I probably should be saying this, but the Jazz losing the first two rounds of the playoffs, Croatia is 100% for sure making the Olympics again. Because Boyan's going to go to the Olympic qualifying tournament and do exactly this 30-point game stuff and lead them to the Olympics just like he did five years ago. So Boyan's playing out of his mind as a number one option, and rightfully so. You can see 
the impact it's having on the Jazz. And if we get anything close to this level of adjusted Boyan, we might call him Don Mitchell come back, and the Jazz are in very good shape. We'll see what happens there when possessions change hands and Mike and Donovan are back. And we'll see where Boyan fits and see how Quinn tinkers with the rotation to get him to fit better. Um, but as of now, you got nothing to complain about, and I have 100% confidence in Boyan playing absolutely out of his mind these last three games and getting us a number one seed. Yeah, Boyan has struggled at times this year. He's been up and down. His shooting seemed to elude him at times this season and even talked about how his confidence was just shaken and it was one of the, the worst stretches of, or I think he said it was the worst stretch of his basketball career and obviously has come out of that tailspin. I, okay, tailspin is really strong for that one, but for me, I think the biggest benefit that the Jazz are going to get from Bojan finding a shooting stroke and finding his confidence is that he is no longer worried about that cold stretch that he had midseason. He's no longer hesitating to take open three-point shots. He's going to the basket with more physicality and actually trying to make the shot when he goes to the basket rather than focusing on drawing the foul. And so one of the things that stands out to me with Borg that we've discovered during the—I discovered is probably the wrong term here, but— he is a guy there, and there are some guys like this in the league that just have to have touches for them to be able to find a rhythm. He's very much a rhythm player, and he's got to get the, the ball in his hands. And whether that means he, he's going to back down into the post and turn it over a couple times a game to get those touches, if it's going to be swinging it on the perimeter, uh, whatever it is, the, the Jazz, and you already brought it up, Quinn Snyder, have got to be able to do something that once Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell return and they start getting their shots back up to the normal level, that Bojan is still going to feel included. Because what we haven't seen is any consistency from Borg yet when the team is healthy. It's only been when Mike Conley was missing a lot of time last year and was struggling when he was playing or earlier this season, a couple of Borg's big games have been when Mike Conley was out. I think he had a big game when Donovan missed three games after that concussion earlier in the year. And so Borg has to be able to find that consistency with the best players on the floor. If he can't do that, then once Mike and Don come back, I still have concerns that he might end up being a negative. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, the Jazz coming back with Mike and Don in game one of the playoffs is going to be a very interesting thing. Um, we'll see exactly what the matchup is, which I'm sure we'll talk about here in a few minutes. But it is the number one storyline right now. Is Well, luckily we're in a position where I don't think there's a lot to talk about if they're coming back. It sounds like they're both going to be back relatively easily by game one. Um, but there are questions that come with that, just like there's questions at every stage of the regular season. And there'll be questions up until game seven of the NBA Finals. Like, that's just how podcasts and the basketball and then being a fan works there's always questions to be answered but i still think that's the number one question we're dealing with right now is how do things fall into place when we finally get healthy again and a lot of that does come back on going on in his adjustment there well let's start talking about some other teams around the league and their health situation so we'll start in boston with the celtics jalen brown's gonna miss the remainder of the season after suffering a wrist injury i think he is has already undergone or will be undergoing surgery on that wrist so he's done Zion Williamson out with a broken thumb. Does that really matter for either of those teams? I mean, the Pelicans probably are going to miss out on the playoffs. Probably we're going to, even if Zion was healthy. And Jalen Brown makes a huge difference for the Celtics, but they just seem to have so many chemistry issues and problems in the locker room this season. And uh, David Locke talks about the rightful order of the basketball universe. And the Celtics seemed like they were just 
out of that. They they did not have yeah. the rightful order of the basketball universe all season long. So uh, do these injuries matter, or is it just kind of a culmination of a disappointing season for both of those teams? Yeah, I think that's about it. Um, it does matter for the Celtics because they were so hoping to win a first-round playoff series or put it all together and make a run. That's not going to happen anymore. I mean, it doesn't matter for the Pelicans. They were going to struggle to get to the plane anyway, and then after last night's result, that's over anyway. So not a huge deal here. I did watch a video from a sports doctor. You know, here's my uh, medical advice from there watching a doctor on Twitter. But he said to keep an eye on that Jalen Brown injury, that the ligament he tore could uh, annoy him and mess with him the rest of his career. So we'll see how he recovers, but that's months down the road, and it doesn't matter for this season. Oh, well, don't tell me that. I love Jalen Brown. He's one of I my do. favorite players. and uh, I love Jalen Brown as well. So hopefully all works out, but I heard the ligament he tore can get a little sketchy at times. <sighs> that sucks. Well, let's talk about some teams that might be getting healthy, possibly. So LeBron, the Lakers, of course, it's been a, a big topic over the last couple months. He's expected to play tonight. He came back from that high ankle sprain, played two games, and has missed, I think, their last three, possibly four, with that ankle soreness. Even when he comes back and we get into the playoffs, I'm really thinking, McCade, that that high ankle sprain is going to linger and bother him more than he's ever going to let on. He's going to play in the playoffs, and he'll be in every game, but I think we're going to see a very diminished LeBron James. Yeah, and you know, people, I mean, it's LeBron James, but at the same time, he's old, and he's played, I think, the third most minutes in NBA history, if I'm not mistaken. Um, And so just all that time on his body, one of these times, one of these minor injuries is going to really hurt him long-term. Um, and, hey, better minor injury than, you know, what we saw with Kobe and all his minutes getting to his Achilles. So hopefully LeBron comes back healthy, but I would not be optimistic as a Lakers fan that LeBron's going to come back as LeBron James, um, as we know him. So we'll keep an eye on that as they head into a fun weekend and then maybe a play-in game and then maybe a series against the Jazz. So maybe we'll get to see a lot of LeBron James. But i definitely be worried about him this season and even heading into next season and just – He's old. That's just the reality of sports. Yeah, it's going to be a tough road for LeBron, and if he's not 100% healthy, if AD's not 100% healthy, it's going to be a tough, tough stretch for the Lakers. And we talk about the Brooklyn Nets. Obviously, they've dealt with injuries all season as well. James Harden is expected to be to play tonight. He's been out with a hamstring for several weeks. But now once James Harden looks to come back to play, Kyrie Irving gets hit in the head last night, and sounds like there was no concussion, but he is going to be getting a second x-ray today. And I think we all kind of know, I don't need to go out of my way to be critical of Kyrie, but we all have an idea that he's not exactly known as the most rugged guy around the league, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. You can put it that way. <laughs> but the the main question is, there are three stars between KD, Kyrie, and James Harden really haven't played together at all. I think they've played seven or eight games on the floor at the same time, and they're not going to have much of an opportunity to get any games in before the, the playoffs start. And with James Harden, do you worry about it being a hamstring? You know, those soft tissue injuries do have a, a habit of lingering and continuing to crop up. I mean, as jazz fans, we've seen that for the last two years with Mike Conley. I was going to say, as worried, I can only be as worried about LeBron as I am about Donovan. I can only be as worried about James Harden as I can be about Mike Conley. Like, it's really hard to say I'm worried about those guys and then pretend that the Jazz are just in a perfect situation. So, with injuries, Personally, I usually don't worry about it until it happens again, although that's always in the back of your head. But you can't spend time worrying about it because that does no good, especially in the playoffs where everyone's playing anyway. So not worried about it at the forefront, but it's going to be in the back of the mind until the finals end. So we'll see what happens there. I mean, he already came back 
they come back for a game and record it, right? So kind of like no, he was did practicing, I believe. What? And, what? and re-aggravated. I don't think he's that's played right. he in any games. He's aggravated practicing. That's right. Definitely need some time together. And luckily in the East, with the top three seed, you get to play a bad team instead of the Warriors, the Lakers, or the Blazers, or whatever it may be. So they'll have time to figure it out. They might have time to figure it out, but I wouldn't be overly confident if I was a Nets fan. Last note of injury I wanted to mention is Kristaps Porzingis. Sounds like he also might return tonight. He's been experiencing some knee soreness, and the Mavericks have to be really careful about how they manage KP. We've seen him year after year after year after year wear down it the last two, three months of the season, and with the way the schedule's been this year, no surprise that he's been missing a lot of games. The one common theme I'm seeing here, McCade, is we've got all these guys that are expected to come back tonight and play maybe two or three games before the end of the season. Does this make you think that some of these guys missing games is more because of injury management? We can throw Donovan and Mike Conley into this one. Is it injury management or and trying to be healthy for the playoffs, or are these guys legitimately hurt and need to be missing games? Um, a little bit of both. I think some of it is injury management. I also think with the play-in, every single game matters now. There are so few games between two tanking teams these days that we're sitting here with five days left in the regular season. And every game matters. You know, the Mavericks are playing the Pelicans tonight. The Pelicans are, you know, 12th, 11th in the West. They don't really have much to play for. Oh, yeah, except if they win out, they have a chance at the play-in game. You know, the Mavericks are going to be 5, 6, 7, whatever. Oh, wait, 7 goes to the play-in game um, until you want to be 5 or 6. So these teams have things to play for. The Nets are virtually tied with the Bucks for the number two seed, which is second uh, home court advantage in the second round of the playoffs. So, you know... They have a little bit to play for. So teams want to come back, get in rhythm, and even if it's minor, they have things to play for right now, which is really a fun adjustment from the NBA compared to seasons past. That's what I've loved about the play-in tournament is it's kept so many more teams involved in playing until the end of the year. Like New Orleans would not have been playing hard over the last month without a play-in tournament. San Antonio probably wouldn't have been. Well, with Pop, maybe they would have. But there's a lot of teams that have just they've made more of an effort. The trade deadline, I thought, was more exciting than it has been in recent years because even if you're a 10 seed and you know this, the next player that we're going to talk about, Russell Westbrook with the Washington Wizards, they're a perfect example of a team that can start the season off terribly. I think they were 1-8, 1-9 to begin the year. They felt like in late January they didn't have a prayer at making the playoffs and now they're squarely in that play in tournament. They're they're going to be involved and they've been playing some really good basketball and they actually have a chance as the ten seed to end up making the playoffs this season and that's why I like it so much. Yep, and they're only a game back at the eight seed, so they're final run they could even get into eight and that obviously puts them in a lot better position. So great stuff from around the league. Um you know I was watching who they watching tonight. First Kings, tenth team and the twelfth team. Both teams are well out of the race for the eighth. And I was watching it with two minutes to go, and it was an intense playoff-like atmosphere. And I was like, dang, if this was last year, these two teams are tanking out of their minds. But because the Spurs are 10th, the Kings were like two games back of the Spurs, four tenths of the time, and this game decided the tiebreaker. You know, it was super fun. And it was, you know, super fun for a 10-12 matchup with a week left in the regular season. So the NBA did a great job there. It's been fantastic. Every night, every single game matters. And they should not only keep it around, but they should keep promoting it as this huge, huge thing because it's made the last month so much fun. I brought up the name Russell Westbrook, and some people care about triple-doubles for whatever reason, I guess. And, you know, tip of the cap to Russell Westbrook breaking Oscar Robertson's uh, career triple-double mark with his 182nd of his career. He already, in less than one full season with the Wizards, leads the franchise in triple-doubles. 
He's averaged one for the for three seasons, and he's on track to do it again this year. No matter what my personal feelings about what Russell Westbrook are, it is still a, a hell of a number to look at that and see 182 triple-doubles. Sometimes do I think he stat chases? Eh, maybe so, but there's only a handful of guys that have ever been in the league that are even capable of putting up the numbers Russ has over I the last... I was going to say, the Jazz haven't had one stat-chasing game in, what, 13 years? Yeah. So, you know, that's a tough thing to do, and... Yeah, you give him all the credit, and he's really, really good, and he's good, and he's really, really bad, and he's bad, and he's got the Wizards in the right direction right now. Yep, it's looking good for the Wizards, and I'm sure we'll get into it, but I think I kind of expect them to actually make the playoffs. But, McKay, let's take this quick break, and then when we come back, we'll jump into the standings. We'll start with the Eastern Conference, led by the 76ers, then we'll get into the West, led by your Utah Jazz. And then we're going to finish up the show talking a bunch of Jazz basketball as we go through everything that's been happening over the last month. So thanks for listening to Home Court Press. We'll be right back. Thanks for tuning in today. It's Season 2 of Home Court Press with McCade Pearson and Brian Priest as we make our return with Season 2 Playoffs Edition. Look for our Jazz Bites game recaps after almost every Jazz game and our weekly Wednesday looking at happenings around the league as the playoffs unfold. Home Court Press can be found on any of your major podcatchers, including Google, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts, and on Twitter at homecourt underscore press. And please, if you like what you're hearing, share, rate, and review the show so we can expand our audience. Lastly, give McCade Pearson a follow on Twitter at McCade P8, and you can find me, Brian Priest, on Twitter at bpriest24. As always, thanks for listening to Home Court Press. Take note. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Home Court Press Utah Jazz Talk. McKay, let's jump into the standings. Watch Eastern Conference. The Sixers are 47-22. and 22. They're two games up on the Nets, and as we talked about briefly at the beginning of the show, they're three games behind the Jazz for the best overall record in the league. So the Sixers lost to the Pacers last night. Probably doesn't matter a whole lot in terms of the Eastern Conference standings, but that was a huge loss for the Jazz as they look to have home court throughout the playoffs. Yep, so now they're three games back with three to go. They do have the tiebreaker, like my rant at the beginning of the show, so they would they still are alive. But one win or one 76ers loss, and the Jazz will have home court in the NBA Finals. So start saving up your bank accounts for Game 7 of the NBA Finals here in Salt Lake City. Um, or, of course, the Jazz could just sweep in the Finals and keep us all stress-free. Oh, man, I got an email from the Jazz the other day about my season tickets, and Finals seats are scheduled to be $195 per game per seat. It's, and it's totally worth it. Oh, it's going to get costly, and I'm still going to make money off of it. I guarantee it. Yep. <laughs> I'm stoked. I I love getting that playoff ticket email. I can't wait for them to tell me where I'm going to be sitting because <laughs> with COVID, who actually knows? Let's get back to the standings. So the Brooklyn Nets, two games behind the Sixers. The Bucks, three games behind the Sixers. And like you said, they're virtually tied. So there's there's going to be a little bit of jockeying for position there, but I don't think the difference between the two and the three seed in the Eastern Conference matters very much. It was really about getting that one seed, and the Sixers basically have that sewn up. One last quick update, McCade. I just got an update from the Athletic confirming that James Harden is going to be playing tonight for the Nets. Yep. So they're rolling there, and as I mentioned, that there the Bucks would like to get the two seed here. I'm sure. Um, because then you have home court against the Nets, but for the most part, you'll see these two teams in the second round play, and they'll still it on the court. So still some motivation to finish strong and try and get the two seed, but big picture, I don't think it matters that much. 
Now at four, five, six in the East, just a whole bunch of muck. Some teams that'll play well, and then sometimes they're not going to play very well. It's the East. We got the Hawks, the Heat, and the Knicks. They're all 38 and 31. The Knicks lost last night in overtime to the Lakers. In a game, I only watched the last two minutes and overtime. But I felt like that was a pretty winnable game for the Knicks. It ended up benefiting the Jazz having the Lakers. Well, it might benefit the Jazz having the (laughs) Lakers win that game if they can get out of the play-in scenario. But out of those three teams, who's who's the best? Is it the Hawks? Is it the Heat who are coming off of a finals appearance? Is it the upstart Knicks who probably have the best overall player this season in Julius Randle? Like, If you were the the Sixers, who do you not want to face in the second round? Uh, it's Miami because they went to the finals last year and have been kind of banged up this year and can easily piece it together at the right time. Um, but I do think the Knicks have been the best team in the regular season, um, and they would scare me in the first round. Um, so, if, But, you know, none of these three teams obviously want to play Milwaukee. That's the goal is to avoid Milwaukee. I expect Miami to hover in that 4-5 or five and finish strong, and then we'll see what happens there. I'm not actually super up-to-date on the tiebreakers in this three-way situation. I can see Hawks, Heat, Knicks in the three-way tiebreaker, but not specifically the two-way tiebreaker. So we'll see exactly how it all plays out. But Miami can flip a switch and figure it out and be that fourth team in the East we've been waiting for all year. Well, and the Hawks even, like I, I think I agree with you that the Heat are probably the most dangerous team. But the Hawks, since Nate McMillan took over, they look like they're getting healthy. Uh, DeAndre Hunters came back on Monday. He's missing tonight just for some management. And his minutes are going to be managed going into the playoffs. But I think he's going to be a big boost for them. And ever since... Bogdan Bogdanovich came back. The Hawks have looked really good. They have, and they've figured out, as you mentioned, since the coaching change. And so it's going to be a fun 4-5 or five series that they'll throw on NBA TV every night because nobody will care. But <laughs> yeah. it will be a fun series. Um, and, you know, for the teams outside the Heat, for the Hawks and Knicks specifically, winning a first-round playoff series this year would be like a dream come true. It would be similar to what the Jazz did against Oklahoma City a few years ago, where you're just so happy to be in the playoffs. And only being the playoffs, being the playoffs was just a chance to win a first-round series that you're thrilled, and it's a step towards the future. You know, the Hawks and Knicks aren't looking to win a championship this year. They're just enjoying the ride that they're in and preparing for the future. The Heat, on the other hand, they are a little bit more of an intense organization coming off the finals appearance. They want to right the ship and figure out a way to get to the finals again. And then this play-in tournament in the East is just ridiculous. I don't know if you are aware of all the tiebreaker scenarios and things like that, but... Basically, Boston is in the seventh spot right now. We talked about them losing Jalen Brown and just the chemistry issues they've had this season. The Hornets are two games back. The Pacers are tied with the Hornets two games back. Both are 33 and 36. The Wizards are three games back. So the Wizards in the 10 spot still have a chance to move up to eight. The Celtics are falling fast because of injuries. The Hornets are actually on the come up with LaMelo Ball coming back from injury. I think Gordon Hayward is expected back sometime around the playoffs as well if they can get in. The Pacers really are the team in this group right now that I expect to continue their tailspin and fall out. Yeah, this play is going to be really fun. Um, as you mentioned, teams are still really jockeying for that eight seed. Uh, theoretically, the Celtics stay at seven. You get one of these teams at eight, and then the play-in happens. Um, and I don't really know who comes out. Yeah, I'd assume the Celtics stay at seven, but with a one-game sample, you never know. And the Wizards, Pacers, or Hornets could all put it together for one game to get the eight seed. So really fun stuff going there. The Wizards do have a three-game gap with the Bulls. The Knicks, Heat, Hawks have a three-game gap with the Celtics. So we're pretty much locked into these four teams in the play-in. Um, and so we'll see where they fall. And I'm, I'm super excited for the play, and I'll just stop and say that. Like, next week's going to be so much fun. Four nights, six games. 
going to be super stressful with the Jazz being the one seed and having to like watch all three of those West games, trying to figure out who we're going to play. Um, but it's going to be fun to watch, not only the principle of it, but the actual game should be great as well. Play-in's going to be Tuesday through Friday, right? Yeah, so one conference will go Tuesday, Thursday, one will go Wednesday, Friday, and then I'm assuming both one seeds will open up the playoffs on Sunday. Should be a lot of fun. Yep, you have your two games of 7, 8, 9, 10, and then two days later your play-in, play-in game. So, Oh, man, i got to pinch myself. It's the rare Sunday home game for the Jazz, potentially. Probably I'd bet on it, but we'll see when the schedule comes out. Yeah, I think there's a really <laughs> good chance that ends up happening, but we'll see. So we'll jump into the Western Conference. Jazz lead the Suns by two games right now. Remaining schedules for each of these teams, and I think they're each favored in all three of their games. The Jazz have Portland tonight as we record this on Wednesday. Then they go on the road Friday against Oklahoma City, who is not making any effort to win basketball games, and they Sacramento. Lost, what, 27 of 28, I think. Okay, so they were 19 and 24 after beating Minnesota on March 22nd. They've gone two and twenty-five cents, going from nineteen and twenty-four to twenty-one and forty-nine. Yeah, no, it's twenty-two out of twenty-three outside of that Toronto win. So they're looking to have a good Thunder buddy, and he keeps saying, you know, Jazz can't clinch the one seed before Friday because we need you guys to beat us. And it's like, dude, we can clinch the one seed, bench our entire starting lineup, and we'd still beat you because you guys are the worst team in NBA history the past month. Like, it's fine. So, because I'll just throw this out there as a little nerdy thing, there are five teams like virtually tied at the bottom of the standings fighting for lottery balls. So you are still seeing some tanking, but because it's a five-team race, it's super fun and kind of entertaining. So Thunder need to lose. Jazz should be able to win that game. Thunder buddies for life, right, Johnny? McCade, I think you missed a golden opportunity right there. You said the phrase Thunder Buddy and didn't make a Ted reference at all. What the hell? I know. I missed. That's my bad there. Come on. <laughs> Thunder Buddies um, for life. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, um, and then the Jazz, they finish out in Sacramento, who technically is still alive for the playing game, but they won't be by then. So the Jazz should be able to pick up two wins against Oklahoma City and Sacramento and call it a season. But I'd prefer to win against Portland tonight, A, because I like Jazz win, B, because I don't want to have to play against the Kings in a stressful environment, and C, because we kind of want the Blazers to lose. <laughs> Jazz definitely need to pick up a win tonight. It's going to be the last home game of the year. They've been playing some really good basketball, so it's going to be a tough matchup, especially with Dame and CJ coming into town and the Jazz being without their two all-star guards. It's going to be interesting to watch. The Suns, they also play Portland. Uh, Portland's going down to Phoenix tomorrow, is it? Yep, tomorrow. So side note, if you're at the game tonight, make sure to chant beat the Suns as the Blazers leave the arena. Um, It'll be quite fun. I think that's a great idea. Then the Suns will wrap it up against San Antonio with two games in San Antonio on, I think it's Saturday and Sunday. Is it Friday yeah, and Sunday? The Spurs are going there four and five. So they play Wednesday, oh. Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, Spurs are two and a half games back of nine and two and a half games up on 11. So they're pretty much locked in the 10. So the yep. Spurs shouldn't have much to play for. Um, the Suns, we'll see how much they have to play for. So that could actually be a pretty boring game that we kind of got hyped up for a few weeks ago. And then at 3-4, the Clippers and Nuggets are separated by one game right now. Do you care, as it pertains to the Jazz, who ends up three and who ends up four? Yes, I'm pretty sure in my opinion I want to keep the Clippers away from four. Um, the Nuggets have the tiebreaker, so they're very similar situations as the Bucks nets where you know this could go either way. However, the Clippers have a much, much easier schedule than the Nuggets. The Nuggets have the Blazers to finish the season. I'm trying to remember the next couple games. Anyway, the Clippers, though, are out on a four-game East Conference road trip. So they have Charlotte, 
tomorrow, and then Houston and then Oklahoma City. So they should be able to pick up three wins and get the three seed pretty easily, as well as at the off chance that the Lakers do climb up to six. The Nuggets might want to tank and not get the three. If, it, if you can have a bracket with the Lakers and Suns, or if you can have a bracket with the Mavericks and Jazz, the Nuggets might try and stay at five and uh, lose a couple games down the stretch and rest down the stretch. So we'll see what happens there, but I very, very confident the Clippers stay in three, and that is what I'm hoping for. Yeah, the Nuggets and Michael Malone and their front office have already shown last year that they're more than happy to tank a couple games if they if it gets them the matchup that they want in the playoffs. So that'll be interesting to watch. As far as their schedule goes, they've got Minnesota tomorrow night. They're, they're playing three games in four nights. So Minnesota on Thursday, back-to-back against Detroit on Friday, and then they go to Portland for Sunday. Yeah. So, yeah, a little bit more difficult schedule. Portland's probably going to have a lot to play for. Minnesota, somehow Minnesota has played themselves almost completely out of the (laughs) chance of keeping their pick from Golden State this season. Which is just wild. And you know they're (laughs) going to get down to like six or seven best odds and then turn around and somehow win the lottery because that's just how it works, right? No, but if you ask the Timberwolves front office and the Jazz front office, if they could reverse those two games about a month ago, I think both front offices are like absolutely 100%. Yes. Like those two wins, Utah, (laughs) because yeah, the Timberwolves are sitting at one, two, three, four, five, the sixth worst record. And with two more losses, they'd have the second worst record. So that's a lot of ping pong balls not going their way because of those two jazz wins right now. And then we move past the three, four in at five and six, the Blazers and the Mavericks tied in record at 40 and 29. I think the Blazers hold the tiebreaker there. Is that right? Yeah, so the Blazers hold the uh, head-to-head tiebreaker there. However, if the Lakers come up and make it a three-way tie, then it goes to the division winner, which is Dallas. So Dallas is cheering for the Lakers to catch them, but not overtake them. Um, So some really weird, complex stuff going on there. Um, You mentioned they're tied right now. The Lakers are a game back. All three have very different schedules. The Blazers, we've mentioned, Jazz, Suns, Nuggets. That's a brutal finish. The Mavericks don't play anybody. I think they play the Timberwolves. Um, I had this all memorized last night. Here, come on, man! I got you. Act like I don't have six monitors up in front of me. So the Mavericks are going to be playing the Pelicans uh, tonight, and then they've got Toronto. And Toronto is, is still has an outside chance at maybe getting into the play, and probably not in the East, but they might be playing for something. And then they finish against Minnesota in Minnesota on Sunday. Yeah, so they should hopefully be able to run away with that five seed. And I would love to have a Denver-Dallas series on next to the Jazz. So theoretically, the goal here is Dallas wins out, gets the five, and then hopefully L.A. overtakes Portland for the six. Um, Portland would need to lose two or three games there. But, you know, the Jazz can handle one of those losses tonight. The Suns can handle one of those losses tomorrow. And I'm sure the Jazz and Suns would both love to get the Lakers out of the play-in game. Um, and then we'll see what happens with Denver and that whole 3-4 thing. This is the thing is, these aren't all independent races. They have so many overlaps because of who teams are playing yep. that it can get really complicated and fun. Um, because, as I said, the Jazz, the most important thing for the Jazz tonight is the Blazers losing, but the Jazz ironically play the Blazers, so they can kind of control that themselves a little bit. So that's a super fun race. Blazers have the tiebreaker over the Mavericks, and then both teams have the tiebreaker over the Lakers. Um, so Lakers are in some trouble but have a pretty easy schedule finish themselves. They play Houston tonight, and they go Indiana, New Orleans on the road to finish the season. So a lot of different ways that could break down. I still think my dream scenario is getting the Lakers to the six to play the Clippers, and then you have Suns, Clippers, and Lakers all on the other side of the bracket um, before the plane even starts, and that's a good position to be in. Isn't it kind of wild that 5 through 10 in the West are all alive and have the potential to end up in the play-in games? And then play the Jazz because of it? Yeah. I don't want to say I don't want the one seed, but I 
I don't remember a year where one through eight were so strong. I just think that there could be a legitimate argument made that any team five through eight in the Western Conference could actually upset one through four. It's going to be a tough first round series. I would not be surprised to see all four series go six games. Um, that's why it's so important to get to the one seed because the Jazz are going to have a game next Thursday or Friday night that you're going to be watching the Grizzlies or the Spurs play against the Lakers or the Warriors or the Blazers or somebody, and you're sitting there thinking, man, if the Grizzlies or Spurs can just pull off this one game, we have a way easier first-round matchup than everybody else. And that's a big deal. If you can go out and win a series in four or five games while the other three series go seven games, that's an advantage you have going to the next round with some rest and getting guys healthy and all that fun stuff. So it's really important to be the one seed, especially with this play-in thing. It sucks you don't get to know your opponent for five days, but you have a chance to possibly go out and win your series faster than anyone else, and that has value. Uh, you know what? I really think that that's getting overblown, that the one seed doesn't know their opponent until Thursday or Friday night. Because I, I agree. These, these coaching staffs are going to be out scouting every one of the four teams that are possible. So, Yeah, and you prepare for the Lakers, and if it's the Spurs, you go, well, we'll figure it out. It's I'm not like you haven't Spurs. seen them this year. They've played every one of these teams at least three times. So, yeah, so I don't think it's a big deal either. Um, it's not like you have a week off between the first and second round either. Like You're usually going two or three days there. So the Jazz should be fine there. I mean, every team should be fine there. You don't need yep. a ton of time to prepare to play an eight seed if you're the one seed. Yeah, but I totally agree with you. I think getting the one seed and having the chance to play a tired eight seed that has already had to play two games just to get into the playoffs is something that can give the Jazz a huge advantage. If they could wrap up a series like that in four or five games and get – you know, get a week off between the end of the regular season and the start of the playoffs, and then you get another three, four, five days between the end of the first round going into the second round. As tired as a lot of these teams are across the league, that can be a huge advantage. I mean, just if you get four days of rest going into the second round, and because of that you're able to steal a game one, that's gigantic for this Jazz team as they try and build playoff experience and show the world that they are a team that is built to win the NBA championship. Yep, and so just some quick breakdown numbers there. The Jazz are pretty even to play the Grizzlies and Warriors right now, about 27% each. And then you get into that second tier of teams that would have to go the other way, and that's the Lakers and Spurs. And then you have the Blazers, Mavericks, Pelicans, Kings, that are all still possible, but pretty much zero. That'll be super fun to watch. You could go anyway, but everything's pointing toward the Grizzlies-Warriors play-in game, and the Jazz will play the winner of that game, and that'll be all right. I'm fine. Do either of those give you a bunch of red flags? I mean, the Grizzlies have gotten Jaron Jackson Jr. back since that three-game stretch where they lost all three to the Jazz, and I think that will make somewhat of a difference, but he's still limited in terms of minutes. The Warriors beat the Jazz twice this season, but the most recent game they were without Donovan, without Mike. Uh, the other two times they played each other, I think both teams were healthy. The Jazz won one game by 40-plus. I want to say it was 43 or something like that, and then the Warriors dominated them in Golden State. Would you prefer to face one of those two teams over the other? Yeah, you're hoping for the Grizzlies, but I'm not super scared of the Warriors. Um, I think the Warriors could beat the Jazz, you know, 10, 15% of the time. I don't think the Grizzlies could. Uh, fun note there, so the Warriors and Grizzlies are only separated by half a game in the standings right now, and they play each other on Sunday, and they ha they're tied in the season series 1-1. And so these next couple games for these teams don't actually mean anything because neither team can really break away from the other enough to clinch it. So Sunday is going to be... It's going to extend the playing tournament a little even further out. So you're going to have the Warriors-Grizzlies play on Sunday. The winner is going to go to L.A. The loser is going to go home and host the Spurs um, or up to Portland, hopefully. And then they're going to come back and probably play a second time, theoretically. So 
should be fun watching the Warriors and Grizzlies play for the regular season eight seed on Sunday and then the playoff eight seed again later in the week. And, you know, the Grizzlies have a real chance. I keep seeing people say, oh, the Spurs and Grizzlies have no chance to win two straight games. And you know what? It's two games. And one of those teams is going to win the first game, obviously. And then all of a sudden you're only hoping for one win. And whether it's even the Spurs at Lakers or the Grizzlies at Warriors or whatever combination it is, but that team's going to have a 30 to 40% chance to win that game. You know, there's a reason they're in the play, and it's because they're good and they have good wins. And so don't be surprised if that 9 or 10 winner does actually steal the 8C and plays the Jazz. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised by that at all. I think the West has just been so good. It's really going to come down to who's the healthiest and who's playing the best basketball right now for those play-in games. But, yeah, it, absolutely anything could happen. Do you have anything else for the standings? It's going to be super fun. Watching the next 44 games over the weekend is going to be fantastic, and we'll see where it all falls and hopes. And I'm still really hoping the Jazz can end up on a bracket with Denver, Dallas, and Memphis is my goal. Well, let's take a quick break, McCade, and then when we come back, we'll finish up the show by uh, taking a deep dive into the Jazz. We'll talk a little bit more about Borg Bogdanovich. We're going to talk about George Niang saving your fantasy league and making you some money. <laughs> I have to. I'm contractually obligated to bring up Trent Forrest since I owned I own Trent Forest Island, and then we, we're going to look at the uh, Donovan and Mike Connolly injuries and just talk about where we think they sit with that. The Jazz have been kind of cagey with it as an organization. And then we'll talk about the last three games of the year coming up for this Jazz team. So thanks for listening to Home Court Press, and we will be right back. If you haven't had a chance, check out the Jazz Pod Co-op on Twitter. It's a group of podcasts with like-minded people that just want to share their opinions on the Jazz. Here's a preview. Mark and Doug Hintzy on the twos and threes. The weird things about dude shots is like my favorite like NBA subcategory of and like or they're like the length of their arms affecting something. I, I'm, I'm like, whether they jump off of one foot because, or two foot. Right. Like, Emily and McCoy on the Jazz of Gals. If anything, that video also reminded me like how just a few inches difference it was between us being on one side versus the other you know like well we all know a few inches can make a difference who logan and jared on hitting the high notes i I don't even care if they're hurt i mean we're not going to dance on any injuries but yes i i I buy i buy i I can't make any promises (laughs) i don't even care if it's a fluke or we cheat i don't even care if you're not cheating you're not trying right um that's what they say and Brian and McCade on home court press. With Boyan, Memphis is really struggling to shoot. So giving the Boyan to the Grizzlies and then having the Grizzlies forward our first-round pick onto another team, if you can get Boyan a first-round pick and then get Memphis to throw in a first-round pick in the A and take Boyan, a lot of possibilities open for a guy like John Collins. Welcome back to Home Court Press. Brian Priest joined by McCade Pearson, as always. And in our last segment, it's been a month since we've talked jazz basketball, McCade, so we have a whole lot on the brain to discuss here. And I want to start with Borg once again. We can't sing his praises enough after getting that player of the week. And the way that he's played in the 13 games since Donovan injured that right ankle, he's averaging 24.1 points per game on 50-43-90 splits over 13 games. Attempting 16 field goals a game, seven and a half, 7.6 threes per game, and five free throws. So it's not even like he's not putting up very many shots. He's 16 a game, almost eight threes per game, and he's shooting 43% from the three-point line. What a guy. Yeah, we talk about this all the time, and you know we'll continue to talk about it as everyone comes back. But those seven and a half threes a game needs to stay above six and everything comes back. Those are yep. shots he can get 
no matter who's on the court and theoretically and frankly should get no matter who's on the court. So, you know, we can live without some of the drives that he's been way better at the past month and early in the season. You know, we can figure that stuff out, but the three-point shooting, that needs to stick. Both the attempts and the efficiency are very realistic boy on numbers. The biggest difference for me in his game right now is there's absolutely zero hesitation. If he touches the ball and he feels like there's the slightest amount of space, the shot is going up immediately. And I love watching that because that tells me that he's confident once again. Exactly. That trigger needs to be ready to go. Um, and, you know, we need to fill the possessions without Mike and Donovan. We'll still need to fill the possessions they come back. So keep that up. Uh, next guy we want to hit on, the McCade Pearson Fantasy Basketball Savior <laughs> Award winner, George Niang. Is this guy earning himself $10 million a year? He might be earning me $10 million a year. <laughs> um, not quite yet. No, I am in my 30-team fantasy basketball league and have made a finals run because of George Niang playing out of his mind. Um, I bet he gets somewhere between 5 and 7. Everybody loves to pay shooters, and that guy can shoot the ball. Um, and, you know, he's been solid defensively this year. I think he's a really good ball handler and playmaker, um, at least compared to what he gets credit for. He played a lot of point forward in college, and we were seeing that the last couple nights, um, last month. And so he is making himself some money. Um, the Jazz have his full bird rights, so they can pay him the money. That just depends on how much Ryan Smith wants to go into the tax. But Niang has been an absolute positive in every aspect over the last month especially the last eight games since Mike went down, he's entered the starting lineup, and it has been very pleasant to see. He's a great, great fifth starter. Yeah, it's been great to watch George Niang's confidence build over the last two, three years and just this season, and I think finally having a solidified role in the rotation. Even last year, there were some games where he got those, did not play coach's decision and it's not happening at all this year he's in the lineup every day he is the eighth ninth man in the rotation and i love to watch it defensively he hasn't been exposed like i thought he would uh, when he stepped into the starting role after Conley got hurt uh he's averaging a little over 12 points per game his splits are pretty great 46 48 and he's shooting 100 percent at the free throw line that's only six attempts but he's been fantastic since Conley got do we yeah. say Conley got hurt or he just re-aggravated the hamstring or the Jazz said, hey, we're not taking any chances. You're going to be healthy in the first round. Yep. So great stuff there. Um, the Jazz are getting healthier and we're going to be good, but the role players have really stepped up a ton. Trent Forrest is the next role player because, like I said earlier, I'm contractually obligated to yeah. mention my timeshare on Trent Forrest Island. This guy looks more and more confident every time he steps on the floor. Do you feel more confident, having watched him over the last eight to ten games, that he could be the full-time backup point guard for the Jazz next year? Yeah, so I expect him to be back on a two-way next year. The Jazz are pretty tight for roster spots next season, so hopefully he'll be back on a two-way. And he should either, yeah, be getting minutes with the Jazz or be playing 30 minutes a night with the Stars, a little bit of both. And if he's playing 30 minutes with the Stars, they should tell him he's not allowed to play unless he shoots five or six threes a game. He has just got to get those shots up both all summer and both in-game situations. And so I would love to see him have some sort of mixed role between the Stars and Jazz next year, Um, probably as a two-way player. Although they could figure out, they could get rid of Matt Thomas, or they could figure out something if they needed to uh, get him on the real roster. But he's been awesome, and he's one of the most frustrating players to watch because you can see the potential. You can see, like, yes, this guy is a 100% legit rotation player in the NBA if he can just shoot. And I'm not talking shoot. I'm talking Tony Parker level, uh, Rajon Rondo level, Jason Kidd level, um, Jamal Tinsley level, where if he can just make Whoa, 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 whoa. Not Jamal Tinsley level. That guy never <laughs> learned how to shoot. 
I'm saying the bar is pretty low for yeah. what I'm defining as shooter. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you know, that side note, uh, Jamal Tinsley shot, oof, he shot 28% from three in his career with the Jazz. Ooh. You can see the potential. You can see the positive impact he makes on the game, and then you just see the possessions where his the lack of respect teams have for him in shooting the ball just kills entire possessions. And so it's a minor fix, and if there's one skill you can pick up while in the NBA, it's shooting. You can go stay in the gym all summer and shoot, 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 shoot. It's not like you can run a pick and roll by yourself or you can play defense by yourself or anything like that. You can shoot by yourself. And if he can become just a respectable shooter to where he can shoot, you know, zero for two most games and one for two enough games to matter, then he will have a long career in this league. And so I'm pretty excited about the Trent Forrest train. It's just there's that one glaring weakness that obviously needs to be fixed. Well, that's the reason why he went undrafted. Otherwise, he is probably a top end of the, the second round pick just because of his ability as a four-year point guard at Florida State to run the offense, to always be in control. And that's one of the things that stands out to me the most and why I think he'll be the backup point guard next year. Even if his shooting doesn't improve by a lot, I think it will over the years, but one offseason is tough to ask for a lot of improvement but this guy's plus 35 in 19 minutes per game backing up Joe Ingles in the last eight since Mike Connolly went out and again this is an undrafted free agent the Jazz picked up off the scrap heap and he's playing 19 minutes per game in a playoff push he's averaging seven points per game on 54 percent shooting and granted that is uh, limited three-point attempts he's shooting 18 percent from the three-point line three of 17 and to me, you said that it's a lack of respect that defenses are giving him. I do think that there's an element to that, but I think even more so, you can see when he's open behind the three-point line, he doesn't want to shoot. He has no confidence in it. So I would love to see Trent Forrest just live in the gym this summer or fall or whenever the offseason is. I can't keep any of this straight, but Trent Forrest, <laughs> just live in the gym, shoot every damn day, put up a 1,000 shots a day from the three-point line. Off the dribble, off the catch and shoot, in the corner, above the break, you're shooting everything, and that's all you're working on this off season. And yeah, I think and if it he's would make willing it... to shoot, that has a lot of value. Yeah. Um, even if he's not making them, as I said, if he can just go one for three every game, or he's a thirty percent shooter, that brings a lot of value. Just the risk of yep. being able to shoot. And he has such a good dribble drive game. Um, you know, this is my argument for why Julius Randle and Dante Exum are really good floor spacers, despite not being the best shooters, although Julius Randle's now hitting every three imaginable, it seems yeah. like. Um, but my argument for why Dante Exum and Julius Randle are such great spacers, is, despite not being good shooters, is because when they caught the ball at the three-point line, you were in trouble. Because those guys could just get to the rim like no other even when catching at a three-point line, if you weren't right up on them. If you stayed 10 feet off them, they could throw them. And Trent Forrest has a little bit of that same thing. He's not the power Julius Randle is or the quickness on his, but he's crafty. And if he catches the ball and decides to drive immediately from the three-point line, you have to be up guarding him. Otherwise, that 10 feet of space you're giving him, he's just going to tear you apart. But so just a little bit of shooting to balance that out goes a long way. And he's been a good finisher at the rim. I think he's got underrated athleticism. He's got really good size at 6'3 for a point guard. He's got a frame where he can put on probably 10 to 15 pounds of muscle. And this is a guy right now, again, I've got to just keep harping on this. He's an undrafted free agent that nobody else had that much interest in signing. The dude's averaging 2.7 assists per game, 3.2 rebounds per game. Those numbers don't pop out at you, but as a rookie it, I think they're incredible, and even more so, he's only got nine turnovers in the last eight games. He's got a 2.4 assist-to-turnover ratio. Yeah, he's playing really well. That's unheard of for a rookie. 
And I'm really, really hoping we get a summer league this year because I think summer league would be really good if I got like Trent Forrest. I think summer league would be great for Trent Forrest. All right, let's hit Donovan. They gave him at least just to shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot in games that don't matter. Yep. So, all right, let's move on. Donovan Mike real fast. We've been out for a month. There's not a lot to talk about there, but it obviously is the big question going into the playoffs is the backcourt's health. Um, Donovan reevaluated yesterday. He's out for the last three games. I'm not expecting Mike to play the next three games, but there is a possibility. Um, the Jazz have been great without both of them. Uh, and they're scheduled now, but the playoffs are a different animal, so I'm a little worried about that. Yeah, the Jazz are 11-5 and five this season without Donovan. By the time the playoffs get started next Sunday, if we assume the Jazz are going to be scheduled that day, he'll have had 36 days off. I, there's, a, there's a fine line between rest and rust. And I'm a little bit concerned about where he's going to be on that timeline. Yeah, and then there's a big difference between playing the Lakers and the Grizzlies. Um, which the Jazz won't know until later next week. So, And then one more question for you, McCade, about Donovan. What does yeah. this missed time do to Donovan's All-NBA hopes? I think a lot of people had him penciled into All-NBA third team. Now he's going to be limited to just 53 games played this year, missing the last 16. Does that knock him off the list? You would think so. Um, specifically, in one of his main comparisons is Devin Booker, who's played basically every game this season. Um, but you never know. You know, James Harden's going to get some talk at like 45 games. Kyrie Irving's going to get a lot of talk at like 55 games. Um, LeBron's only in the mid 40s, if I remember correctly. Joel Embiid's only at 54. So there are guys around him that are probably going to make it with that number. But those guys are for sure all NBA players. Yeah. That you know, you know, Joel Embiid's an MVP candidate. LeBron James is LeBron James. Um, you know, he's an MVP candidate, or at least was. And so I would expect guys like Kyrie and James Harden and LeBron and Donovan to miss out. Um, I'm sure Donovan will get a handful of votes from some random people around the league um, who don't care about games played. But I think for the most part, in terms of getting an, actually enough votes to make the team, it's just it's really hard to argue him over Chris Paul and Slash or Devin Booker at this point. It's really hard to argue him over Bradley Beal, who's going to miss this week as well, but still played 65 games and has been awesome scoring the ball. And so it just gets really tough and tight. We knew that all NBA third team guard spots are going to be incredibly difficult to pick anyway and it seems like this is the tiebreaker that breaks the camel's back that when you get down to you can say yeah donovan's been just as good as devin booker or bradley bale but games played is probably the first initial tiebreaker voters look at and so you know that sucks for donovan that's 35 million dollars he's not going to get by missing all nba that's great for ryan smith who's probably going to save about 80 million dollars in donovan not making all nba um but that's just the way it happened and it sucks and it is what it is and there's yeah, it is what it is, and I don't know what else to say about it. Now, McCade, I am not a doctor, nor did I stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night, but I'm thinking you might be experiencing some Stockholm Syndrome left over from the Miller ownership when they refused to pay the tax so often. We don't have any reason to think Ryan Smith is hesitant to pay the tax. No, we, but and... there's a big difference between you know <laughs> twenty million and fifty million, a hundred million. Like that's real life money. That is money he could donate to charity or invest in a new business or just save or whatever. Like that's a hundred million dollars of real life money that isn't already within the jazz organization. Um, and side note, I'm very, very grateful for the $8 million that the Millers put towards the tax in their entire 35 year history that resulted <laughs> in one playoff win. Ooh, but there's only one playoff win in the two years they paid the tax. That's rough. So there you go. <laughs> Oh, I'm just, I'm just saying, you know, it might be something you want to look into and uh, check up on they that paid, Stockholm. Maybe they paid the tax twice and they lost in the first round four <laughs> one and missed the playoffs. So you know, 
not my favorite thing in the world, although I do love and appreciate the Millers. I'll throw it out, that out there before we move on. <laughs> Let's talk about Mike Conley. Is, is Mike resting, or is he actually injured right now? They've got 9-2 and two this season without him, and I, we've gotten basically weekly updates on Donovan, but I haven't heard any updates on Conley besides they just say hamstring tightness. Yeah, I hate the term tightness. Like, come on, you should be playing if your hamstring's tight at this point in the season. Like, it's obviously a little bit stronger than that. It's pulled to an extent. Um, I would assume Conley's still pretty hurt right now. I'm hoping they don't rest him this weekend. Um, you know, I would love to see the Jazz starters come out and just put, you know, the five starters on the court outside Donovan and just play them 12 minutes in the first quarter together, just the entire first quarter, and then bench in the last three quarters of the game. You know, I would love just to get a few minutes, especially a big chunk stretch, like a 12-minute stretch where they just can hopefully figure out a little bit. Overall, though, I'm not too worried about it um, at this point. I do think we're in the territory at, at this moment of non-zero chance calling and slash or Mitchell miss game one of the playoffs, and mm-hmm. who knows at that point. I think we are at non-zero chance because the Jazz are so secretive about it but I still think we're probably in a good position that they will be playing. But I'm at least at the point where they did, I'm accepting it's a possibility they are not there for game one, game two, whatever, of the playoffs. If I had to choose between the two seed and knowing that those two guys are healthy or the one seed and having them one or both of them come back in the course of these next three games and potentially re-aggravate an injury, give me that first option any day of the week. I I trust the Jazz in injury management. I don't think we have any reason not to. I I mean, Conley has already talked last year with his hamstring injury, I think earlier this season as well. If it was the playoffs, he would have been playing on both of those. It's just the Jazz being careful and understanding that Conley is getting up there in years. He's, what, 33 years old right now? And so you have to manage these things a little bit more. But I I don't know. I, I would rather have them healthy and not have to worry about the one or the two seed. Yep, so we'll see where it falls. The Jazz have an exciting time in a week anymore. It's just three days. Um, four, sorry, five days, three games. So Jazz finished this season. Portland at home as they go for the 32-4 and four record at home. Um, would really like this game for a Blazers loss more than a Jazz win. And then they go on their weird road trip. Can we talk about how weird a road trip Oklahoma City, uh, Sacramento is? Yeah, that's, that's kind of an weird, odd one. But there's been a lot more weird trips the second half of the season because of the whole COVID schedule and whatnot. So they'll be fine. Three games, need two wins, only need one if the Suns lose a game, and don't need any if the Suns lose two games. Um, but hopefully they go out and win tonight, Friday night, and don't have to think twice about Sunday. Yeah, two is the magic number for the Jazz. Portland's 40-29 and 29 this season, and we've already talked. They're playing some great basketball. They're 8-2 and two in their last 10, making a big push for the playoffs. Oklahoma City on Friday night, not nearly as big of a concern. 2-25 and 25 in their last 50-ish days, and this team is not interested in winning basketball games. If the Jazz lose to Oklahoma City, I don't care who the Jazz put on the floor Friday night. They better not lose to Oklahoma City. And then Sacramento is such a Jekyll and Hyde team. It's hard to know who you're going to see from Sacramento from night to night. We know Tyrese Halliburton. I mean, we Halliburton. beat them by 50 in Sacramento a few yeah. weeks ago. So if we can replicate even a third of that, that's still a 17-point win. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like we, we know we can beat this team. We've already done it twice this year. The one big question mark with Sacramento is, sounds like De'Aaron Fox is nearing a return from his injury. And I guess the main question is, why would they bother? Should he even return for you know the final one or two games of a year where they're going to miss the playoffs? Yeah, uh, probably not. They're, what, two and a half games back with three and a half games to go with the Spurs without the tiebreaker. So I think all seven games need to go the right way. So I think the Spurs need to lose out and the Kings need to win out for the Kings to steal that 10 seed. And then, of course, you have to win two games just to get the right to play Utah. Yeah. Um, 
So, yeah, I would uh, call it a season if I was Sacramento, which they very well could. They're underdogs tomorrow night, and we'll go from there. So I'm not expecting a full-strength Kings team on Sunday by any means. Well, three more games left in the regular season for the Jazz as they fight to win an NBA championship that McCade, we're speaking this one into existence. They're going to win a title. I had an idea the other day, actually. I posed this to my wife. She didn't like this idea any better than my previous ones. But I said, what I'm going to do is when the Jazz win a championship, I'm going to go to the parade and I'm going to wear every jersey I have of current Jazz players. And then I'm going to give those jerseys away to disadvantaged people, kids, maybe a homeless guy that I see somewhere. And then that way I have even more reason to buy my championship patch jerseys, right? It <laughs> makes sense. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do work with the Jazz, so I get 40% off. It's, it's an investment more than anything. Absolutely. There we go. <laughs> she tried to tell me that I should iron on some gold patches. Uh, like, no, they, they wouldn't have that Larry O'Brien trophy on them. They wouldn't yeah. have the, the X1 on it. Like, I need all of that. And I'm sorry. I just... There's, there's no way around it. I'm buying a bunch of jerseys when the Jazz win a title this season. Fill out my wardrobe. Yes, sir. We're talking to your existence, and we'll be back soon to talk about that championship a little bit more. Well, I believe we will be back tomorrow morning. If not tomorrow, we'll be back on Saturday to talk about the Friday night game against Oklahoma City. Um, I wanted to shout out, since we've been gone for a while, McCade, we we got to give a tip of the cap to the hashtag JazzPod Co-op, doing some great stuff. Um We've got Hitting the High Notes. They've still been putting out shows consistently. Who, Logan, and Jared. Uh, a lot of fun to listen to. They had James and Alan on from the Dog and Deuce show a couple weeks ago, and that was fun to listen to. I, I enjoyed that. Uh, Dog and Deuce, of course, they're, we're, just, we're going to include them in the Jazz Pod Co-op, but they're, they're far better than any of us. So maybe, maybe we're, just, we're striving to get to the Dog and Deuce level before we can get to the David Locke level, I think. And then uh, Mark and Doug Hinsey with the twos and threes. I always love listening to those guys and following Mark on Twitter. His shtick of, hey, the Jazz are the best team in the league. How about that? Look at these records. Jazz are the best team in the league. It's it's fun. Mark does a good job. And then the Jazz of Gals with Emily and McCoy, always a good time. I just... I like the Jazz Pod Co-op and how the how a rising tide can lift all boats. I think we're all doing a little bit better since we've started this Pod Co-op. But where can they find you on Twitter, McCade? Yeah, you can find me tweeting out probabilities and graphs at McCade P8. That's M-C-C-A-D-E P8. Every single day, McCade's putting out the probabilities, who the Jazz are looking to face in the first round, their chances of getting the number one seed in the Western Conference, and he's talking about the rest of the league and where teams are falling at you know, wins and losses and what the ramifications are. Great follow on Twitter. So check out McCade there. You can find Home Court Press at Home Court underscore Press, and you can find me, Brian Priest, on Twitter at bpriest 24 And, McCade, we got to say this one together. Three, two, one. Take note. You didn't say it. I was muted. Come on. Yeah. Take note. Take note. Yeah, it wasn't synchronous, but that's good enough. Hey, take a quick look at Snyder. Now take a quick look at Spider. Since 08, yeah, I've been a rider. Utah Jazz keep getting higher. Damn, all I can say now is whoa. Royce with the D, Royce with the O. One thing Jazz Nation gotta know. Clarkson's nickname is Dickamo. Even on the road, four more threes from Jingling Joe. My breath stopped with Donovan gone, but Ingles came out looking like LeBron. Like, damn, Conley with the Midas touch. Bogey drops 30. Yeah, that's clutch. Utah Jazz is doing their thing. My all-star vote, hashtag Niang. 
I do not like the Lakers. I just like D favors. Utah Jazz, they rock my socks. Go bear, I love you and I love all your blocks. Are we surprised? This is the year we collect our prize. 2021 Utah Jazz champs. Heard it here first. Now blast this jam like that. It's true, Utah Jazz is better than you. Tap a tap a keg, is the bomb crew just one by 30. What you gonna do like that? It's true, Utah Jazz is better than you. Tap a tap a keg, is the bomb crew just one by 30. What you gonna do like? It's true, Utah Jazz is better than you. Tap a tap a keg, is the bomb crew just one by 30. What you gonna do like? It's true, Utah Jazz is better than you. Tap a tap a keg, is the bomb crew just one by 30. Hold up, hold up. Coming wrong strong. Darvin, 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 Darvin,